The Center for Minorities in the Mathematical Sciences presents Mathematically Uncensored. Where our talk is real and complex, but never discreet. You are listening to Mathematically Uncensored, where our talk is real and complex. But never discreet. <laughs> Good morning. How are Good you? Good morning. Hanging in here. Coffee hasn't can kicked you, in. <laughs> can you imagine if we try to do this every day of the week? Well, let's see. We probably would be up way earlier than I would want because I'd be wanting That's to right. do it from the gym. I'd be like in between sets, like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Three more reps. Okay, go. Sentence. That yeah, would no, be entertaining. No, that it would be, not. Yeah, no, I'll that would be, like, be amazing. Oh. Puffing and puffing the whole time. Snot. No, I'm, not, I'm not saying it would be good for you. I'm saying that people would love it. Oh, got yes. it. Okay, someday we will <laughs> take this show on the, uh, you know, on the road and we'll record That's from right. a gym. That's right. That's right. Goodness. How are you doing? Well, I'm well. I'm in Milwaukee, so I'm visiting family. Oh. Uh, today's a big okay, day. Excellent. My dad is getting married. What? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, yeah, it's great. Okay. Yeah. I'm well, excited. Congratulations. Yeah. Okay. I think, you know, you know, it's, it's good to, it's been a long time. I think that I haven't seen my dad happy and he just seems to be happy and at peace and like, there's a lot of joy there. And so it's like so lovely to, to see that for him and to get to share in that. Yeah, no, I'm so hyped for you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. That is great. Well, yeah, and then I get to, yeah. you know, I mean, like, yes, of course, it's all about my dad and stuff and the new yeah. wifey. But I'm like, I get to dress up and doll <laughs> up like this girl is going to wear a dress instead of these gym Are you, you going to put pictures up? Are you putting pictures up? Oh, you know it. And, and you know half oh, of them okay. will be me flexing. <laughs> So yeah, well, congratulations for that. Enjoy the day. And I'm okay. honored that you're taking the time to even spend with me for just a few minutes. So No, that's good. I'm, I'm glad we get a chance to catch up after the last episode. Oh, dun, my dun, goodness. Dun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm wondering, you know, we, we spent that time and I'm wondering whether the audience, and I guess this is going to be kind of a theme, but the audience gets what that was for us. So mm-hmm. if you, you got to go back to listen to the previous episodes. So this would be uh, total episode number 31, but episode 11, this is episode 11 of season two. So if you go mm-hmm. back to listen to uh, episode 10, then yeah, that was super, super emotional. And so, yeah. And I wonder, I think it comes across, but yeah. But afterwards, yeah. there's some episodes we get off, there's some episodes we get off and we're just like, oh, Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think this yeah. was one of those where it's just like yes. uh, two weeks later and I'm still like, no, em- emotionally exhausted, <laughs> still processing. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it's never planned. It's not planned. Oh, it's no, not at all. Is. I mean, just the way that the feelings show up at, at times yes. of stress and difficult conversations. Yes. yes yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, talking about difficult conversations... I mm. seem to recall that you've been trying to avoid Facebook fights. How's that going, friend? Oh, my God. How's it going? <laughs> so, 
Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I I just, you know, I, so Facebook again, I, I I just try and go in and see how things are going. I'm in some groups and but thankfully I'm I'm only getting to Facebook fights with other teachers. Mm. So, so this is not it's not it's not a fight fight, right? I mean, and so it's like we're having disagreements pedagogically about stuff. And this one wasn't even that bad. And again, as I said before, like there are only just a couple things that I'm just like, no, I gotta chime in. Even on this one, I wasn't even sure if I should. So I was just in a teacher group mm. and one of the people on the group, and this is what's so interesting because I have to struggle. I struggle sometimes, but sometimes there's just venting sessions. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. Time to complain about students. Like, the gloves are coming off. And so this is the struggle that I have, obviously, with the work that you and I do. So at the start of the work that you and I do, we put students at the center and 99.99% of the time, you might imagine we put students of color at the center, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But as we also say, when we put students of color at the center, everybody benefits. Yes. So that when people so that when people student bash in general, that we have a deep problem with that, right? Because yeah, when you uplift the most marginalized, then you're uplifting all the students. So I usually can understand that. And so when people like like a lot of the times people come on and they vent their frustrations and student bashing happens, and I'm just like, oh, that person is just, you know, tired, blah, 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 blah. And I can just deal with it. this one for some reason. I just couldn't do it. So this person comes on and says, you know what really gets my goat? Cheaters. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I knew who copied off of who. Now I just got to figure out what I want to do about it. Mm. And then and then from there, and so, you know what? This helps me out. Now I know why I was so bothered because it was not just this person, mm-hmm. but then the, the rainfall mm-hmm. of all the people after them. Just, yeah, I think it was that. Yeah. It was exactly that. Yeah. And then I just, so then I was just like, I, and so first of all, I was just like, there was no one on there at this point that was just like, maybe you might want to give them a break. Maybe you might consider what they're going through. Mm-hmm. So then my initial thought was, okay, so I'm going to be alone in doing this. Yeah. And, and so, and, and again, I think people might forget that. So, so I felt fear. Yes. I felt fear. I want to acknowledge that because sometimes I guess I'd never say that. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, so, so I was like, okay, should I say something here? Mm-hmm. And then, and then more and more anti-student oh. comments kept coming. And I was just like, and then, I wasn't even trying to do this on purpose. And then it was like, well, look, you don't want to get into a Facebook war. You don't want to, right? What, what good is this going to do? Yes. Comfort came in. Comfort. It did. It's like, don't you need to go? Go make a sandwich uh-huh. or something. Uh-huh. Aren't you hungry? Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe you'll come back to it. And then I was like, no, no, no. Fight, 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 right? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to post something. And because, and then the other part was like, do you really want to get into a back and forth for the next three hours? Like all of the, like my mind was just like trying to get me to not do this. And so right. I reminded myself that there might be, and this is, this is the power amplification we have as teachers. I reminded myself that there might be one person out of the 50 people who read this thread who might go do something different. Different, and, yeah. And, and and 30 students might be impacted positively. Right. For right. the decision of you 
actually speaking yes. out against the yes. behavior of this, like, yes. you know, just constant policing in the classroom. That's right. And so I was reminded that changing teachers' minds has an amplification factor for generations and generations of people, right? And so right. I was like, okay, let, let me go on and I'm going to, you know, get my words together. And so I went on and I said, I spoke from my experience because mm-hmm. we always have our own voice. Mm-hmm. That's one of our big rules here. And so I said, I usually try to have a heart to heart with the student who goes through something like this. I am still working through the process in which when stuff like this happens, I realize that it is often not a offense against me, right? but that a young person is trying to make it in this world. Yeah. And so I got three people who liked it. Okay. Right. And I got a heart. Yes. But of course it begs the question, where were y'all? Before I put this down. Comfortable, comfortable. They decided that they were going to go make a sandwich. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) And so then the other thing was that this person posted their cheating policy. Oh, wait. So they were ready. They've been doing their policing shit for a while. They even got a policy. That's right. Awesome. Yes, 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 yes. And so then, oh, it may have been a different person, but someone Mm -hmm. posted their cheating policy. So they defined what cheating was. And Mm. then, then they had the student signed this contract about cheating. Okay. And so, and so here, here's the definition of to cheat. To cheat is to act dishonestly or unfairly in order to gain an advantage, especially in a game or examination. Mm. Now, I don't know. I don't know where that's from. Mm. I don't, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. whether they made it up themselves. So I dug into that and I was like, why does this bother me? To act mm-hmm. dishonestly or unfairly in order to gain an advantage, especially in a game or examination. And I guess it's because it, it, it feels like it turns the person who cheats into someone who's a villain. Mm-hmm. It, like mm-hmm. it turns, right. It just, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm trying, let me get over. Ha, 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 ha. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I'm worried that, I'm worried about the positioning that that puts our students in. Right. When in fact, they are just trying to make it. Yeah. Right. And then the other thing is that I guess old people just forget that they, you know, when they were young, that there are some things that, you know, that they did or that they aren't proud of. And I feel like there's this sense of holier than thou from lots of people in power. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, yeah, well, you know, you should know better. It's like, dude, don't you remember when you were 15? I guess not. Mm. I guess that's the problem. I they guess don't. that's the problem. Yeah. They know. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so yeah, I've been I've been well, dealing with that. Yeah. So this reminds me of this scenario that's very common in philosophy classes. So I, you know, I had to take this philosophy class when I was an undergraduate, which by the way, I thought was gonna be a math class, like a logic class. And boy was I wrong. <laughs> that's funny. But one of these like very well-known scenarios that you get is, you know, a person is really hungry. If a person is really hungry, their family is starving. And they're sick. Do they have a right to steal medication and food? Right. And you will have all of these people be like, of course, of course, if you're starving, your family's about to die, you need this medication, of course you should steal it. And my thought is, isn't this a similar situation? Like this cheating is, is a bigger part than just, I'm going to put one on, you know, Pull one over on my professor. Let me write on my wrist yes. the power rule for, yes. for differentiation yes. and then the quotient rule for differentiation and then just lift my, you know, my sleeve as, as we're in this exam. Like, 
there's some desperation yeah. thing happening right here. So like, what is the equivalent of the, the, the being hungry? What is the equivalent of needing this medication yes. so badly that they are willing to do something yes. that they have been told their entire life will make them a bad person, will make them the villain? Correct. Right. Well, no. So I, I like your analogy. However, I think that teachers may think that you are stealing food from my grocery store. Right. Oh. That. Yeah. So that it's personal. You've come in and you've done it. Yeah. So. But hold on. But hold on. OK. 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 No. So I, I love this. I love this because this is super nuanced. OK. So let's let's go and say, yes, you are the storekeeper. Yes. And and you see the hungry people and you see they're really hungry and they need this medicine and they're about to die right outside your store. Are you that heartless that you wouldn't extend to them a loaf of bread Wait, and the medicine? But I, have, but I have been teaching them how to cook and providing sure, all the Sure, but they don't the got necessary. the ingredients. They don't got the ingredients. No, I've given, I've given them the ingredients. No. We've been, yes, yes, no. I've, look, I've been in there and I'm like, here's the food. Here's how you make it. Next week, there's going to be... Uh, feast, make sure you bring your food. Got it. And then they're just like, yes. No, got Go it, ahead. got it. So what's happening is you're like, today we're going to cook spaghetti and meatballs and yes. we're going to lather this with butter. And so here's how you cook noodles. Here's how you cook the meatballs. And here's how you get the butter. And then the student yes. is like, but I'm a vegan. And you're like, I don't give mm. a shit. I gave you the ingredients. <laughs> I gave you meatball, spaghetti and butter. And your student's a vegan, but like, it doesn't matter. No, because you're in my, yes, you're in my space. Got it. You're okay. in my space. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. So I, so I I don't know what, what is the stance on cheating that we're supposed to have? Right. And it feels like it is just individual and I've seen mm-hmm. it, right. People, you know, people are just like, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. I know that I struggle with calling the administration, getting S and zeros mm-hmm. and all of this because it is like it is my hope that that you can resolve this with the student right yeah. and so yeah i mean i just yeah yeah so anyway. it, it's really interesting because that i don't know exactly what the rules are right when you're thinking about like k through 12 versus you know post secondary right because i know on my yes. campus like we are supposed to just report and then it is out of our hands. Yes. Like yes. you see something, you say something, and then you're like, I did my job on to the next thing. No, um, that's about, but see the, the problem I have with that is that that's what you say about a crime. Yes. Right. You like, let somebody okay. else do, deal with it. That's exactly but the way we're that talking, our system is set up. But we're, I'm struggling here. So you see somebody steal someone's purse. Mm-hmm. Okay. You see somebody looking on somebody's paper. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like so, but they're the same? Mm-hmm. See, okay, so I, maybe I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one who's I'm crazy. I'm not saying it's yeah, right. Okay. I'm just saying okay. that is the policy at my institution. Yes. You see something, yes. you are not even allowed to approach the student yes. to have a conversation. You don't even let them know that you're going to report them. They just get an email from, you know, the committee chair, it, who actually is a student yeah. who usually chairs that committee, like a, you know, senior student. Yeah. And then they email the student and yes. they say, uh, you have been, you know, accused of academic dishonesty. Here's when you're going to have your hearing. Yes. Get ready. Yes. 
that, oh, that, and, and then you go to a hearing. You actually sit in, yes. you know, there's like a room of 10 people, half students, yes. some faculty, and then, you know, the professor or whoever, you know, saw what happened and then the student. And then, you yes. know, you present evidence. And then the people on the committee delegate and then they pass down a sanction. Yes. I wish people could see me shaking my head. I, like, I know. It's just, it is, that, that, that makes me really sad, actually, because, I mean, and, and why, why, why might that be? It's because I'm thinking of the child. I'm thinking of the young person who gets that letter mm-hmm. and how their academic future has now been put on the line because mm-hmm. they made a mistake. No conversation. They just There's get, no like, conversation. It's just unbelievable to me. It's in inhu- it's not even a human like procedure, right? You just like yeah. here's a letter, yeah. come defend yourself. Yeah. Ooh, yes. That is tough. That is tough. Yeah. To and so what could we imagine doing differently? Yes. To eliminate having to go through that, right? So it's like, is is there a way in which we teach yes. that would alleviate some of these issues? So that Whatever well, yes. it is that you're doing in the yeah. classroom, when you're assessing it, it's not such a do or die situation because it's it's the pressure. I was just about to say that. It's the pressure. It's the feeling of feeling like it's do or die with this one assessment and that if you don't make it, it's over. Yes. It's completely over. Yes. Can we have mathematical spaces that to do all that we want them to do? with no pressure. Can we have mathematical spaces that have everything that we have now, but have zero pressure? I mean, my answer is yes. I do it with every research class that I run. Yes. You don't do that with calculus. I don't do that with calculus. Why not? Because I'm scared and not ready and the rigor. And I've been told that I, you know, should prepare them for the next class. Whereas in the research classes, like we're just exploring and whatever amount of math content we cover. Yes suffices, right? There's not a race to cover five chapters of a calculus book. It is discovery-based. It is interest-based. It is really as much as the student wants to put in and how motivated they feel like to continue to pursue the research ideas. So it is what I would theorize is the best environment for students. But I think we've set up mathematics in such a way that we believe that every class should cover so much content and failure to do so and master that yes. content will set the student in a path where they will just fail. Yes, yes. MU at minoritymath.org is the email address. That's the question we're going to ask people out there. So can you have the math classes that we have, get all the rigor, whatever that means, mm-hmm. and have zero pressure, zero pressure? Does math have to have pressure? in order for it to be done well. It's interesting because I think people can't imagine a different way to teach that isn't what they've been accustomed to. Of course, of course. Yeah. That's right. So so my hope is that the next generation of educators, they're just going to be so much better prepared to imagine new ways in which we can learn content that doesn't rely on stress as a motivation. Yes, yes. Yes. I mean, and I have to, in my classes, spend so much time unwinding the pressure. Like, it's just like, I need to do that. It's like, no, you don't. I've got to have this in. I'm behind. It's like, no, you're not. 
Yep. Yeah, it's just like, just yeah, let's just let's stop. Yeah, and it's not even pressure that I'm trying to do, right? It's pressure that they've gotten from past classes, right. which is like, I'm ah, right? Yeah, utilizing pain as a way to, to learn is just not yeah. a good feeling. Yes. And then we yes, wonder, yes, yes. and we talked about this last time, right? Which is like, and then we wonder why we have such a traumatic experience every time that we're in these math spaces, Yes. Right. And we talk about math trauma. And I was like, it's not yes. math trauma, it's people imposing trauma yes. on us through mathematics. And it yes. isn't the way that we design how we teach. Yes. You yes. know, yes. In, yes. in a big portion of it has has right. that at its center. Ugh. Yeah, not the, the other day I was pulled over. Oh when I was no. God. Yes. Yes. Okay. yes, yes. Panic. So this is <laughs> so I was coming from seeing Batman, the Batman. Okay. And so it was a late show. And so I, I, I teach evening classes. So I came after the class and then I went to see the movie. Okay. And the movie was just out of control. Like it was three like hours. Good. Yes. No, it was just, it was too much. It was like the director was just like, I don't think they're going to give me another movie. So I'm just going to put it all in this one. Like yeah, okay. it was outrageous. Okay. And so, so now it's 1 a.m. 1 a.m. And I'm... Sister, I just said that it was after my I, evening I classes. Know you said in the afternoon. It was three I know, hours. My brain doesn't process. <laughs> so, I'm like, 1 a.m.? Like, what? That's, that, that's when you're, you're working out then. What are you talking about? I'm about to get about? up. I'm like on my third yeah. R, you know, REM cycle. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so I'm dropping home. And so I'm amped up. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that movie's out. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I just blow past the stop sign. Right. So, and oh, so this is, by the way, this is near my campus. So I decided to take the campus route to go back to get to uh-huh. the interstate. So I'm going to campus. So now this car is behind me. So it's uh-huh. pitch dark and all this stuff. And uh-huh. I'm like, this car is close to me now. Of course, given my experience in this, I'm uh-huh. like, there's some probability that this is a cop because I'm trying to speed up so uh-huh. I can get, get distance between me and this person. And this person keeps keeps staying it with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Oh, Lord. So this is a calculus question. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so and so then the lights come on. And so now mm-hmm. it thankfully for me, it had been, it's been a while. It's been uh-huh. a while because like I've been conditioned to do the right things on the road, but now it's 1 a.m. I think I'm the only mm-hmm. person on the road. Like, okay. So mm-hmm. I, I pull over. And so he comes up, the officer comes up and it's just it's like, do you know why I stopped you? Mm. And I'm just like, I'm never going to answer that. Like, I have no idea. Like, and right. then he's like, well, you, you went, you blew through a stop sign at blah, 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 corner and this and this. I was like, oh, okay. And it's like, do you have your license and all this other stuff? And so, you know, he, you know, goes back, takes my license, goes back and mm-hmm. makes sure that I'm not a terrorist or whatever. And he comes back and gives me a warning. Okay. And so, but then, and so I, and so I took some time to realize and digest that I looked around my car mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. And like campus police came up while I was there because he was okay. not campus police. And I probably, I think had a conversation with him about who I was. Yes. And like, and so then I, and I thought about my daughter's um, car seat in the back seat of mm. my car. And mm. I, thought of, I thought about how I, pre- how yes. I was presenting to him even, and I thought about how he was a black cop. Mm-hmm. And how all these things contributed to me going ahead and being able to drive away and get home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that how other people in this world don't present the way I was presenting at the time. Mm. And that and that that could have been very different for lots and lots of different people. 
Mm. So, so I was thankful. Oof. Yes, I felt very thankful about how I was, I was presenting in the world, that I, I presented as the right Black man that night. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, you know, it's unfortunately such a common experience to, to get pulled over as a Black person in America. And I think about all of the times that, you know, my husband, Jamal, since yes. we moved to Williamstown, yeah, the number of times he has gotten pulled over in this very small, you know, white town. And yes. he's always let off without a warning. Oh, also, I should preface this, right? Like he, in his military career, so he was a Marine for, or I guess once a Marine, always a Marine, but he was active duty for eight years. And his job was to drive. Like he was a, a driver, motor T. He like giant wow. trucks, small trucks, anything. This man can can maneuver wow. around whatever you want him to maneuver, right? He is yeah. a fantastic driver. I mean, they're not going to yes. allow someone who can't drive well, of drive, you the know, million of dollars Absolutely. with the machines. And so this man follows the rules to a T, and he keeps yes. getting pulled over. And, and I remember having had a conversation with some of my colleagues once over lunch when, you know, very recently since we we had arrived, I think in like the first three months he was pulled over, I don't know, five times. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, I'm, I'm worried that something's going to happen to him, that, you know, he's going to meet the wrong cop at the wrong time. And, yes. And yes. that this is not going to end well, to which one of my colleagues said, well, doesn't he have a William sticker in the back of his car? Oh. And I, I almost died because I was like, you really think that a fucking parking sticker is going to save my husband's life? And so this makes me think about the fact that, you know, last episode, you know, I, I was also talking about like all of these things I've been going through and what happens when people hear our stories and then think, well, you know, that happens to me too. I got pulled <sighs> over. You know, I get pulled over because, and I yes. literally heard this story, you know, it was like, I got pulled over because, well, I was in the middle of the road trying to make a left turn and well, the, you know, the light turned red yes. and I turned and the cop pulled me over and I was like, I've lived yes. here 20 plus years. And, and then I was like, you yes. think that that's how my husband would be able to talk to the cop and walk oh away? Oh my God. Oh my God. And so this oh is making me God. think so much about, you know, some, some of what I've learned in these past two weeks you know, since we put out the previous episode where somebody reaches out and, and tells us like, oh, every word that, that Pamela is saying like really resonates with me and applies to me. And, yes. you know, people not talking to yes. me in the hallway. You know, I also feel like I'm isolated. People don't like me. You know, I do want to be yes. loved. Students yes. also give me poor evaluations. You know, so it's like, yeah. Yeah, we we may share in a lot of these similar experiences, but the context matters. Yes. yes. The reasons no, why this is happening matter. Yes. Yes. No, and and we should say that there's a white man who's saying that. Yes. Right. And so and and I I I'm uncomfortable, right? In in the sense that it's hard for me to say and I've just been dealing with people resonating with other people's stories in all of my work recently and the PDs, you know, that we've been running, people have been talking about empathy. I've been talking about resonating 
And I've been struggling with the balance between having somebody say, Eris, I get your story. You know, I empathize with your story or I empathize with someone else's story and the risk that comes with that being tied to that I don't need to go deeper with it. Or when you say that you get it, that you may be missing some nuanced pieces. For me personally, there's no way, I mean, even as well as I know you, there's no way I could hear what you said to last episode and for me to be like, I get what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 I just I just couldn't do it, even if because there's some element of. So so last last episode, you mentioned five emotions. Right. And mm-hmm. people can listen and say, oh, I've had those all five of those emotions. OK, great. Mm-hmm. And so and so I'm worried that people think that that's empathy, that that, mm. that somehow simply because we are sets overlap with the emotions, then everything's good. I can empathize with those emotions that you have. And I guess I'm saying that for me, that there's, and I don't even know how to express it because I don't want to say there's a deeper level because that means that we're like comparing. I don't want to compare, mm-hmm. but, but it is, it's, it is different, right? So yeah. I, I'm hoping that, and I don't want to put up a wall of connection. If somebody is saying that, oh, I understand those feelings. I want to connect with Pamela. That's great. I, I, yes, I just figured it out. I just want an acknowledgement that it's still different, that yeah. our identity still presents something that even if you connect with the five emotions that was mentioned two weeks ago, that you still can say, even though I connect with those five emotions, I still don't know what it means because of how we roll differently in mm-hmm. this country because of our identities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the way we were right. saying it in the production meeting was that particularly white people and people with privilege have a sense of belonging yes. in addition to this notion of having the same emotions. You have the you can have the same emotions, but you inherently belong. And there's, there's a difference there. Yeah. And and I think what I hear you saying is also, you know, and I think it's important to say that I think as a person, I, in my way to connect with someone is to try to understand where they're coming from. And sometimes I focus too much on the similarities and not enough on the differences again, because I'm trying Mm. to connect with someone. And so I think in, in hearing in particular, a white man say something to the effect of like, yeah, I too feel that way what's happening is maybe there's a desire to connect over similarities, but again, then it erases that the reason why we're experiencing what we're experiencing is different. Yes. And that they, by their gender and by their color of their skin, the weight of that experience And the sheer number of times they have that experience may be very yes. different, right? Like the cardinality yes. of my set. Oh my God. Of experiences triggering those emotions, uncountable. Yes. Their shit, <laughs> a finite set. Yes. Right? Yes. And so and so I think there's, there's, yeah, the intensity and the sheer number of times that I'm experiencing the things that we talk about on this podcast, I think could shed light to why it feels so terrible 
to have right. somebody say like, oh yeah, me too. Oh yeah. And then yes. it's like, ah, oh, you just dismissed every, every nuance yeah. and context from what I was trying to share. Yeah. I wish people could see me just shudder at the, at the yeah. thought of like, yeah, I go through that too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, for me personally, I just want to completely abolish that phrase. Like I, like you just, and for any of us, like, I, I just cannot imagine looking at somebody's story. It's like, yeah, me too. Like, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm working through that, right? Because I do want to honor everybody's experiences, but I think that there are commonalities, but they none they're not the same. They're just yeah. never going to be the same. Not to the point where we can be like, yeah, I go through that too. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, I to this point, I've also been thinking a lot about, you know, where I fail in this regard, like where I think mm. I understand. Mm. And, oh, yeah, me too. And I I have found myself recently really thinking about students who have some learning accommodation. And, you know, I used to think, oh, yeah, I too get distracted. You know, like, yeah, I go from Mm -hmm. one project to the other and like, yeah, maybe I have ADHD. Yeah. And it was Mm -hmm. like really off the cuff, kind of like, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Like, it's hard for all of us. And I've been thinking and reflecting a lot on that and seeing the barriers that educational systems place on students who need to access accommodations. You know, and and as I understand it, when a student has an accommodation, it is absolutely my responsibility to accommodate. However, I've been reflecting, and and I've been reflecting on this because we had an exam this past week in, in my calculus class. When I get these letters from the Office of Accessibility, Accessible Education, saying, you know, uh, this particular student might need, you know, time and a half, twice as much time on their on their exam. And then I was like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. You know, I got it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know, that's that's like the bulleted list. There's like a little bulleted list of the accommodations that the student requires. And I was like, great. That sounds great. And then I see beneath that accommodation an entire paragraph that of warnings We have met with the student. The student knows that they must approach their professor a week in advance of whatever assessment they want to utilize your accommodation on in order for the professor to blah, 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 blah. But basically it just reads like this is on the student. If the student doesn't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, then the professor can just flat out refuse to provide the accommodation. Basically it is completely on the student to self-advocate. And then I'm thinking like, wait a minute, that seems, first off, like, this is unreasonable. Mm. Like, you've sent me this letter, so I already know that this, this, by receiving this letter, to me, that's like saying that the student is requesting their accommodations. Otherwise, why the hell would anybody go through the expense and time and trouble to make sure that I know that they get these accommodations? Yes. And then get this, aside from that, now the student has to go, like, if, if they want a separate room, right, if that's part of their accommodation, a separate room to take this exam in, then they have to go and fill out a Google form that then gets sent to me, then then gets sent to some other person, and then maybe there's a room, and if they don't do it within, again, so many days, it can get declined. And I'm just like, why is this so difficult? Yes. And then I was like, there's got to be a better way. So I literally, like, email our wonderful administrative assistant, and I'm like, 
my class is so early and the students are willing to come a little earlier to, you know, just not impose on them any additional time constraints after class. Like yes. they could just come in early. There's no classes before mine. And I was like, can we just reserve a room near mine for X dates? Yes. Within five minutes, she had done what was going to require an enormous amount of effort on yes. 10 other people yes. to do something so simply as to just get a room next door yes. to where my exam is for people to have a quiet space. And so I've been struggling a lot with this like, oh, yeah, I get it. It's so hard. But then having no proactive approach to helping people. Yes. Yes, yes. Right? Yes. It's like, oh, I get it. I too get distracted. It must be so rough. And then you just turn around and like actually ignore the fact that there's this entire oppressive system that is making that experience hell yes. for our students. And so, yeah, so so I, I right, I, I'm trying to understand why we're not just more proactive at this. Like, why is it just so easy for us to just be like, oh yeah, me too. And then that's what I hear, right? Like when I think about th this particular white man who's saying, oh yeah, I get all of that. Then what I hear also is, and I go through it. Yes. So will you. Yes. And I'm not willing to help. Yes. That's what I hear. Yes. Yes. And that's why it hurts. Yes. And I guess I'm drawing parallels between the cheating situation we were talking about and this accommodation issue in the sense that there's a situation that arises where we as professors can try and take care of it in the trenches on the ground. But if we, we also can just push it to the bureaucracy yes. and the bureaucracy doesn't give a fuck about individuals. It's just rules. At all. Yes. It's just rules, policies, and they're uh, inhuman. They don't have, they don't take into account feelings, humanity, nothing, right? It's just follow the rules. And so, and so, and I get that, right? Because, you know, things happen. So, because why? Because we don't want, you know, we can't, for some reason, we can't make a policy for humanizing, right? And so, mm. and so for some reason, we don't want each professor to be handling this on their own for some reason. Mm -hmm, and so, mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm, therefore we'd mm -hmm. have to write some blanket statement. But then when you write blanket statements, you remove the individual nature of the situation, right? And so then people right. get lost, right? So, yeah. So I think from, and I, it's a struggle for me because I think I want a professor teacher to handle this in a humane way so that it doesn't have mm -hmm. to go to a set of rules that don't take into account the humanity of the individual and the situation. So what's yeah. the lesson here? The hope is that we can accommodate our students in ways in which we don't put them in the system. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because the system's yeah. not going to help in that sense because it's written too broadly to be specific. And again, this hits me personally in the sense that even when I was pulled over, I, what do I want the cops? Mm. Like the cop, don't put me in the system. You know what That's I mean? Right. Just, yeah, just That's like... Right. I just saw Batman, right? And I, oh, good. Oh, I'm wait. Excited, wait, sir. oh wait, wait, wait. Oh, am yeah. I making excuses? Winger's making excuses. Mm. Wait, uh oh. I, I, I broke the law. But the rigor. That's right. Oh, yeah. that's right. I broke the law. This person cheated. This person needs to do this stuff in order to get accommodations. Just follow the rules. Mm. Just follow the rules, mm. right? That's what I'm hearing people say. Mm. And it's like, so. Again, it's a it's it's a struggle because I'm I'm being pulled in a couple of different directions. We 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 need rules. We also need yes, of course. We also need humanity. 
caring, compassion, yes. Yes. right? We need yes. that too. And yes. yeah, our rules don't have that, right? So if you told mm. me we had compassionate rules, what do compassionate rules look like? Mm. Right. And I don't know mm. the answer mm-hmm. to that. I don't know. Does anyone have yeah. a set of compassionate rules? Right. And, and at, the, good at the institutional level, MU at Minority mm. Math is the email address. Yeah. Like, I mean, let's get some compassion because then I wouldn't feel so bad. Right. Because when something right. like this happens to me and again, it's because of my walk as a black man in this world, in this country that yeah. like when when someone cheats in front of me, I'm like, there's no way I'm calling such and such mm-hmm. because this for their whole academic life is now on the line. Like, <laughs> I, think, right. I think that person and I might be able to figure something out. Right. And maybe I'm overstepping my bounds. Maybe I'll be fired next week because I'm not like, like I have no idea, but I struggle bringing people to the system because for me, emotionally, I've seen so many people, you know, just get thrown into the system right? and their lives get changed forever. For what? That's right. For what? That's right. Yeah. Well, we followed the rule. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we just had to follow the yes. rule. Yeah. I, I'm struggling with that. And so, and again, I come from a people who looked at the rules and say, well, wait, where's the compassion? Where's the justice? Where's the caring? Where's the love? Mm. Right. It, it, in, in applying this. And so there are different levels, but I, I, yeah, I, I'm glad to be here sitting in front of you and not in a jail somewhere. Uh, me too. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Also, you got my phone number. I answer in the middle. Well, okay. Probably not at one, <laughs> but I probably would have, you know, sent yes. you a, sent you some money. No, I appreciate I, that. I, I, I appreciate that. I'll pay that bail. That's right. Get him out. That's right. I need my co-host. <laughs> This show no, can't run without them. Right. No, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, good. So, but thank you. Yeah, so no, I'm say, sorry that those are scary. Yeah, I want to say thank you to just cutting through the nonsense and getting and supporting the student. Let me just say thank you to you for that. Yeah, and and honestly, like it was, you know, it was it was not a big thing, but it it got me to think about how many other students yes. I have failed yes. in that regard. Yes, you know, before I was able to to really sit there and be like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Like, yes. why is it so hard for them to access something that I'm supposed to provide for them? And then also, you know what hurts a lot? Oh, no, I don't. I didn't want to cry today. You know what hurts a lot? It hurts that like, when I said that to a student, I said, this makes no sense. How about this other option? Yeah. How they just felt so seen mm. and like, so thankful. And I was like, you don't got to thank me for shit. I should have been doing this all along, you know? And I'm again, just like focusing on being better every day, I think makes this easier to, to just constantly question like where else I need to, to grow. Yes. But it hurt me to just think like, man, as professors, we try to help our students learn and provide the right environment for them and the right opportunities and the right access and why does this surprise the student? Yes. Like, why does it surprise them that somebody was willing to think outside of the box for a different way in which they might be able to, to access their accommodation? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe it's that belief, right? And, and we talk a lot about this when we do these professional developments, right? That like people are, I mean, in fact, we just got a question like this 
in the most recent one, right? Yeah. Where it was like, well, you know, at what point do you just have to focus on the content? Oh, like, yes. yeah, yeah, all of this is nice and neat and everything. You know, maybe this is just not fair for other students. Yes. Um, and so I hear that a lot in in the in the conversation, right? And I'm just like, listen, you are a mathematician. Sit your ass down. Take two steps back. Okay. Yes. Shut the fuck up. You are not a psychologist. If somebody said, here's what I've determined. A student can just benefit from twice as much time, not because that's going to give them an un, you right. know, unfair advantage. Right. That's not what is happening. Yes. But that's what people, you know, people start saying, like, this is just not fair. You yeah. get twice as much time on this exam. Right. What about the other students? Right. And then I'm like, wait, why the fuck do we even have time exams? Okay. And I'm at fault for this. Like, yes. God, I should, I, I learned, I said this podcasts ago, right? Episodes ago that I would never give an exam and here the fuck we are. Yes. 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 Because it's easy because it's comfortable. And yet again, I fail. No. And so it's just like so many directions for me to grow. And yeah. And so, so I've been doing a lot of that reflecting. No, I want to honor you for bringing that up and calling yourself out that, that, cause that's the work. That is the work. So kudos to you. Yeah. Yeah. And get to work. Yeah. On it. <laughs> On it. Yes, excellent. The other thing that I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, and again, like the work is acknowledging where you fall short and yeah. then trying to do better after that. But what happens in the case where other people don't care, don't want to change, they're comfortable? Say, for example, yeah. qualifying exams oh during God. graduate school. Oh, my God. Yeah. How about... The graduate entrance exam. Yes, 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 yes. So dun dun dun. Yes, right, yes, like yes. No, and ooh. and this is tied. This is tied to a couple of episodes when we mentioned ago when we mentioned people getting into grad school, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and how excited they were and all this other stuff. Yeah. So these exams, and we got a, we got something in the mailbag about this about the barriers that they present, right? And again, oh, by the way, talking about pressure. Talking, that, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're talking about mm-hmm. pressure. I, I think mm-hmm. my qualifying exam was probably the most pressure I've ever felt in my academic life. Yes, like Shit. with yes. without question. I mean, a doubt. Yes, mm-hmm. and part of it is because you know of how what I thought of them mm-hmm. and how that narrative of what I thought of them was not mm-hmm. dispelled by any adult around me. Mm-hmm. That I thought that my academic life was on the line. Yes. Right. Yes. And so and so with looking back, nobody said, Eris, this is okay. If you don't do well, nobody said that. It was one one test. It was an oral Mm -hmm. examination. And it was just Mm -hmm. like and so, yeah. And so I remember that whole week I just removed myself from the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Let me be clear. I should have been my I should have been studying months ahead of time. Let me just be clear about that. Mm -hmm. But like Mm -hmm. and I did a little Mm -hmm. bit, but like that week before. I removed myself from the world and I just, yeah, I've never felt pressure like that in my professional life ever. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. again, we're at, and so I had one test. Now there's some institutions, you got to do three prelims. Oh Lord. You got to do. Yes. To, uh, pre, so first of all, when I heard people have to do prelims, I was like, prelim? What the hell? Mm. So I, I, so again, the question becomes, can we possibly imagine being able to have all the mathematical positives that we want and not put students through hell. Yeah. Like, I mean, 
Can, yeah. yeah. And so I struggle when we as mathematicians, you know, can solve these harder problems, but we have so much indifference, apathy, lack of imagination when it comes to these destructive types of structures yeah. that put our students through so much like pressure and pain. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And then we've heard reports when, when you go and interrogate that those people were like, oh, we can change that. Yes. Oh, that's not a problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Because yes. It's, it means nothing to them. Mm. It means nothing to the people who are in power to be like, okay, we can change that. Like, we're not going to lose anything. Well, like, God damn it, why is it there? And I struggle because I know why it's there. Because when these things are instituted, there's someone who has the most powerful voice in the room and says, we need rigor. Mm-hmm. So we got to have, we got to make sure they get through and they know this, right? Yeah. When in fact, we don't have that much evidence to suggest that doing well in these exams is going to make you an incredible researcher anyway, right? So That's right. Yeah. That's right. No, it's it, and it's interesting because it's almost contradictory to what people believe makes a mathematician a oh good mathematician. Yeah. Right? Like let's talk about that. We talk about, you know, a good mathematician being somebody who can lock themselves in their attic for 10 years, come out of there, have invented an entire new direction of mathematics to solve for Ma's last theorem. Yeah. It took them 10 years. Did we say go do that shit in this room in front of three people and you have 2 hours go? <laughs> Right, right, right. Like we understand the very difficult problems often involve an incredible amount of time, an incredible amount of people to come together with new ideas, with new perspectives to solve these very difficult problems. But yet we continue to utilize old shit to gauge whether somebody can get to that point. Yes. And so I, I think for me, this is something that was, you know, clear as I started being you know, an assistant professor. And I started thinking about like, wait, where is the real math experience that we give our students, Mm -hmm. right? Because like, to me as a mathematician, I don't think about, you know, going to take a 60 minute exam as part of what it means for me to be a mathematician, right? I think about instead those moments when, you know, I'm washing a dish, rinsing out my toothbrush. And I'm constantly just thinking like, oh shit, maybe if I just let the parameter go to zero, maybe this thing will converge, right? Like I think about those moments where all of a sudden, like you get an inspiration for a project as you're driving down a street and something strikes you out of nowhere. That's when I think I'm a mathematician. That shit seldomly happens as I'm in the middle of an exam trying to figure out something and I have five minutes left. So, so I started thinking a lot about that. And that's when I started moving into teaching these research courses. And my favorite thing is to teach them in areas that are not my expertise, mm. because then students had a real experience of seeing me struggle, yes. you know, and yes. then, and then they would always look at me like, wait, but don't you know the answer? And I'm like, friend, if I knew the answer, I would have published this yeah. math paper already. <laughs> Like, it's not like I solved it and it's sitting in a folder in my closet that I'm just going to pull out and be like, see, look, you got the right solution. You get an A. Like, that's not, it's not a rubric, right? It's not like a solved exam that I have when I give them a research project. And then also just the beauty that is creating your own questions. Yes. Right? And, And so, so I think about all of that and just, if we know, if we know what it really feels like, 
those moments of inspiration where you're like, this, this right here is what it means to be a mathematician. Why do we continue to teach the way that we teach yes. and use exams as a gateway to those beautiful experiences? But we know why. Why? Wait, oh, here's the answer. Because we, if you're going to do any of this stuff, you have to have some basic content knowledge, right? So that's the response. That the exam. But you know what? Let me tell you something. Go ahead. That's that's a straight up lie. That's a straight up lie. It's Let a me lie. tell you why that's a straight up lie. Oh, it's a total lie. It's an absolute lie because it's it's not so much the content knowledge. I really think it's much more the experience of more writing, the experience of more critical thinking, but it's not necessarily the particular content knowledge. And let me say why. I have had an undergraduate level. Um, course in number theory. That's it. Just one undergraduate level course in number theory. And I have published yes. maybe 10, 12 papers in number theory. So trust me yeah. that I know almost nothing. The first time that I ever learned about the Riemann Seda function was the same day that I and other friends proved something about it. Yes. So tell me again about content knowledge. It's not about content knowledge. It's, it's about the experience that we have as we develop critical thinking abilities. And so that's what makes me mad that, yeah, we're like content, content, content. Yes. And I'm like, nah, it's about the ability to think and reason. So wait, okay, so th that's great. That is great. So here we are back at the system again. I got 35, well, no, let's do, let's do it this way. I got eight brand new graduate students coming into my department, okay? And so now we want to put them on the road to a PhD, right? And so they started taking classes and so forth. How am I supposed to gauge whether they are ready for PhD thesis writing level work? Right. That that is the question. OK, so so here's the idea. Right. So I totally get it. Like, yeah. I get it. OK, yeah. They need to know all this content to understand their Ph.D. level question. But what if instead you did it the opposite direction? You said, here's the Ph.D. level question I would like you to answer. Now, let's figure out everything we need to know about Yes. In order to try to solve that question. Yes. Right. Yes. So we work backwards. We're just like, okay, go learn analysis, go learn topology, go learn algebra. Da, 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 da. Yes. You'll fall in love with an area. And then eventually, hopefully, you can find a PhD advisor. And then hopefully they're taking students. And then hopefully they have a good idea for a project. And hopefully that's doable within two to three years. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of hoping there. There's a lot yes. of real, real, you know. Just hope. Just We're just all hoping that this yes. is going to work out well. So what yes. if instead you actually already had the question and then you had all of the PhD professors taking students pitch the question, pitch the question. And then once you pitch the question, the student yes. can say, you know what, I'm interested in that. Okay, let's work on that question and then look at very small nuggets of that problem to try to solve that in the road to set up to solve the big problem. Yes. Yes. Why is that so hard? That's literally what we do with undergraduate students, right? Like when I do my research with undergraduate students, I don't start with today, we're going to learn seven weeks worth of stuff. And then I'll tell you what the question is. Yes. No, I'm like, here's the question. I have no idea how to solve it. Let's go figure out what has been written about this. Let's go figure out what other people have thought about. Let's go talk to so-and-so. Let's network. Let's go to conferences. Even while we're working on this problem, yes. because the whole point is that 
to solve the problem, you don't know where the spark, where the idea, when you're brushing your teeth, when you're running tap water right. to wash your dish, you don't know where the inspiration is going to come from to solve that problem. So you need a lot of those experiences to be able to trigger the creativity to solve the, the problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that that's, that's great. And I, I, look, I'm, I like your idea. I'm just happy to hear a different idea. Like I just, yeah, I think we put these structures in place and at some point, you know, qualifying exams may have made it made sense. Right. But when we let things just sit and just, we continue to just do them the way things have always been done. Right. Then that's the problem, right? We have to just say, well, wait, it, does this still work? Right. And so this is a call out to everybody out there listening to just go back and think and look at some of your structures and say, is that still working? Right. Is that still working? And we're talking about qualified exams. Do they still work? Right. Are they still doing what or have they ever worked? Right? Are they going to do? Oh, have they, they doing ever what worked? That's the, a whole nother right? question. Yes, 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 yes. So mm. um, because suffering is there. Right. Now, what in the world yes. might this have to do with people of color? Well, people of color in this country have had less access to resources. And oh, my God, I'm about to say something controversial. OK that um, how much you know and the content knowledge you have is tied to access. Absolutely. Oh, you say it's absolutely, but so here's the counter narrative because people think when I say how much you know and how much knowledge you've gained is tied to the access you've had, people say, well, you're trying to say that I didn't work hard and ain't nobody trying mm. to say that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not you're taking to say, somebody's work out of it. Yes. You're trying to say, but that, when you got to um, hire private tutors, and when your parents have PhDs, oh, yes. right? Like, there's statistics that show that the num that the probability that you will end up with a PhD, like the number one thing that like indicates whether you will complete a PhD is whether or not your parents have one. Yes. Mm, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Again. Yes. 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 And so, I want to. In addition to the example you gave, I want to also come back to those people who say, well, I'm not rich and I don't have, right? And so I just want to say that for me, my broke ass growing up, right? That I, when I look back right. and I, I realize how I got to a PhD, it was because whatever it is I was going through, whatever tragedy, trauma, that my grandmother and my aunt and my uncle set up a space for me in which every night I had three to four hours. And this is from 11 to 20, because I stayed at home for undergrad. I had three to four hours every night to work on my studies. Mm. From a, so, so, that their so that their triumph for me was even in the midst of all the chaos of being in the murder city of the, of the country, that they provided that space for me. And so I had access to the time, concentration, all of it, right? And so when you know, when you can prove something in three seconds, it's because you had time, access that other people don't have, right? And so, so when, when we're trying to bring more people of color into the discipline, we have into PhDs, we have to understand that this is tied to an access issue. And therefore, if content knowledge is an access issue, when we put up barriers like qualifying exams for people of color, it means something, right? right. It means something, yes. 
Right. Yeah, but, oh, it, by it, the way, this is not saying, so, I, so I, I just want to be clear that we're not saying people of color are less smart or anything right, like that. Right, or this, that can't right? pass these exams, right? Like yes, that is not at all what we're saying. Right. Yeah. No, it, it, so the thing that I also wanted to kind of pivot a little bit to in thinking about these spaces that we occupy as often the, the only people of color, yeah. I was thinking a lot about the last episode, as I've said before, And there was a point in the last episode where I said, like, I thought I understood what was happening. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in the context of this meeting, you know, and where I had gone through the four levels of, of, you know, (laughs) trying to understand basically that I was understanding what was being said. And so I had a a meeting earlier this week as I'm, as I'm thinking about a a proposal that I want to write for NSF with the brilliant Dr. Sarah Sword. And as we have this meeting, you know, I, I, say, I say to her, you know, it's interesting to think a little bit about retention of faculty, yes. given, yes. again, you know, all stemming from, from the last episode. Like, how do we retain faculty of color? Like, what does that look like? Is it always just money? Is it the cohort experience of not being the only faculty member of color in a department? And why might that be important? And, and as we're thinking through these things, you know, I said to her, I was like, there's, there's nothing like the feeling where I'm in a meeting and there happens to be another person of color Mm. and something gets said and it gives me that pause where I normally would go into my questioning. Like, did I hear you correctly? Did you mean this? Right? Because something stung, something hurt in that, in that moment. And then Having another person of color in the room with whom I can lock eyes with when that happens, and then you just know, like you just read it on each other's mm. face, like, oh shit, yeah, we we both we both hurt, like that hurt. Okay, we'll debrief yes. later, right? Just that that moment, that interaction that is almost just like a it, it can't even last more than a second or two. Yes. And I said that to her, and I was like having that other person of color in that room to share that like fragment of a second with has made the world of difference in the way mm. that I experience being in all majority white spaces. Yeah. And then I said, you know, and so so there's there's often where I'm just having so much of a hard time understanding what is happening. Yeah. And then she said, yeah, white people don't know that because they don't, like the space is already built for them to understand what is happening. They don't need to look yes. at each other. They don't need to have that split second where they lock contact, right? Like eyes and just be like, yeah, we get it. No, because like they just get yes. it all of the time. And yes. my heart fucking broke because mm. I was like, this whole time, That's what I've been experiencing. Just this constant, dull heartache of always Mm. feeling out of place, of always feeling like I don't understand the context and everybody thinking I do. And when I ask questions for me to try to understand the context, Mm. then I am treated like a traitor. And, And it's just like, you are the majority, the way that you communicate, the faces that you make at each other. Like you don't have to think about it. Whereas I've literally yes. been told in meetings, literal, have been said, people need to watch the faces that they make. And they're talking about me. 
Wow. They're talking about me. Like I, I can't, that's the face I make. Yes. Yes. And we're in these spaces. And like, I was like, this is why I find it so valuable having another person of color because you get to walk around and there's always somebody like you, somebody that understands. And I don't have that. And so it's just, and so I think about, you know, what is it like to be a person of color when you're taking these graduate exams and you're the only person that's, you know, a person of color in that room and some shit goes down and you don't have anybody to look at, or you're on a hiring committee and you're the only person of color and you don't have somebody else to look at. You're in a selection committee and you hear all this shit, this established mathematician saying about maybe somebody, you know, and there's no one to look at. I mean, it is a constant experience that we have as people of color in this discipline. Yes. And so the hope is that people are listening can again, develop a sensitivity, not empathy, I'm sorry, I'm going back, but so sensitivity <laughs> to this experience that you may never understand, right? So um, so what do you want people to do? Oh. What do you want people to do? <laughs> so for me, it's acknowledge. I mean, you just have to start with saying, yeah. okay, when you're in this space that they're, and you see a person of color in there, that they might be going through a sense of not belonging in this space they're going through a lot more work and being in this space right now for the next hour in this committee meeting or whatever it is that, that there's a sensitivity and an acknowledgement that, and, and therefore when they speak up, right. I mean, then lean towards, you know, uplifting them because it's not easy. Right. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's hard navigating these spaces when you feel so out of place. Yes, 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 yes. And I felt that I felt, and we talked about this a little bit, but I felt some people supporting me in these meetings and it felt good. Mm. (laughs) It was like, okay, yes, 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 yes. So think about that. Yeah, no, it's super important. And again, the power of people's voice, right? And and white privilege, man, is a thing. Silence has dominated our discipline for the last N decades. Silence Mm -hmm. has dominated Mm -hmm. our discipline. And so, yeah. And so too many people have been too quiet for too long and that's changing. We're going to change that. That's the hope. Yeah. And we're all going to be better because of it. Yeah. Absolutely. 5% friend. Where are you at with your 5%? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'm still working on, I got some feedback from Twitter. Some people were messaging me on Twitter with ideas, with ideas about my um, online class. And so I was thinking about implementing some of those things. So that was great. So yeah, I'm still working. I'm working on that class still and trying to make it as good as I can make it. Okay. Awesome. I still want to hear when you're having this virtual party, like I, I suggested. (laughs) I've got to do it. Oh, have you heard? I should do that midterms. I should do that midterms. Yeah. You should do that midterms. Yeah. Yes. And then, you know, just just tell them to bring bring a drink. Oh no, maybe that's Yes. Maybe that's not appropriate. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, there are that many of them. Maybe I can have food delivered or something. I don't know. But I'll figure it out. Oh yeah. my God, like a grub hub. You send everybody yeah. like a cookie yeah. or something. That would be so lovely. Right, right, right. I love yeah. it. Anyway. Uh let's see. I so one of my, you know, I've been working again, still working on my map joy. And this week I had such a good meeting with my research students. And so we were working on on a generalization of parking functions that they've developed. 
And so they've been able to enumerate certain classes of these objects. And then we came up with, you know, just a ton of data. They're very good programmers, a uh, ton of data, and we couldn't find any pattern. And I get it. You know, they're like frustrated. They're like, we should be able to like explain every number in this table. Mm-hmm. And so far we've been able to like get these really beautiful uh, recursive formulas and closed formulas for certain parts of the table, like the diagonal and a particular okay. column. Yeah. And so I'm like, this is lovely. Like, it it might take us years to figure out the numbers in the middle. Yes. But but then I thought, okay, so maybe what we want to do is generalize further. And then they're like, no, but if we can't solve the, you know, the things in the middle, why would we generalize? And so it was it was a really lovely moment when I finally explain, you know, the process in which I think about mathematics, that there's times where the base case is very difficult, but you might see a little sliver that you can solve. And so then I think about that being the projection of some other results sitting on top of it. Mm. And so we generalize Mm. so that when we project to that particular instance that we do understand, what you do is maybe not understand everything, you know, on, on the plane, but you understand some projection onto a line. And so I think when I finally like when they find when I finally was able to say that in a proper way that it made sense, like why one might generalize like this, you know, that moment again of like, oh, I get it. So we don't have to know everything inside of this table, but maybe there's a way to generalize the particular rows or columns or diagonals that we do understand so that we have a more general result of which this is a special case. And I was like, yes. And then it was like, oh, okay. All right, we'll work on that, you know? And But it was like that transition where they were like completely skeptical. Like, you crazy lady. We just told you we don't know the middle numbers in this table. And then like when finally, you know, it's just, like oh yeah yeah we'll get to work yeah i just had a lot of math joy there that's amazing i've taken it for granted you know i've taken it for granted the way in which i operate when i think about research mathematics and how i'm constantly like this thing is a special case of something let's figure out what what it is what the more general case is and so yeah so that was like just so lovely and also these research students there's something really special about them so brian listens to the podcast and brian you know started our meeting shout out to brian yeah, big okay. shout out to Brian. Brian listened to the to the podcast last last week, last two weeks ago. So he came into the meeting and he was just like, Professor, how are you? And I was mm. like, Brian, stop listening to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and so then the other student, uh, you know, Bruce, shout out to Bruce. Bruce yeah. says, Professor, you have a podcast? And I was like, Brian, don't you tell him about this podcast. You know, like, we're just laughing. I was like, y'all can't know this much about me. Like, there's got to be something. Right, right. But, but absolutely, no, I'm, I'm just thrilled that he listens. And we we get to have a lot, of, a lot of good conversations. And I think it's also great that, like, they see me as a person. And so it's, it's just been, like, such yes. a lovely experience to have research students while so much of our public experience as people of color... Mm. Um, has has been getting momentum. So yeah, yes. so I, I just, I truly appreciate the opportunity I have to to think about math, to have them be part of my my research group and for them to be the leads, right? Like they're leading yes. the questions and the research and the programming and to just see them flourish has been really lovely. Fantastic. Amazing. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Well, that's the episode. We always yes. end with some announcements. 
So not much today, just reminding everyone to please share the podcast. Also check out the blog at the center. So you can also hit us up on Twitter at Math Uncensored, at Minority Math, at DPE Harris, at Eris Winger. And we're eager for the next episode. Absolutely. Sister, as always, I appreciate it. You've been listening to Mathematically Uncensored, where our talk is real and complex. But never discreet. Enjoy the wedding. All righty, will do. See you later. Bye.